0: It's, well, just over 30 years since you graduated from St. Martin's, isn't it 30 years since you opened your shop?
1: Yeah, I graduated in June 1979, and I opened my shop in October, I think it was the 1st of October 1980. So it's more or less 30 years, yeah.
0: Were you successful very quickly then, after graduating? Because that seems, I'm not sure if it was that era, But it seems incredibly quick to be able to open your own shop
1: yeah i mean it all depends how you term success but i i mean yes it did happen all incredibly quickly um largely through steve strange um who was apart from my (laughs) mum my first ever playing client and he had a day job working at px which was a really fantastic fashion shop at the time, and through Steve I met Helen, Helen Robinson and Steph Rayner who owned it, and they asked me if I wanted to take over their basement. And So, I mean, literally within a year of leaving college I had a shop and a, and a presence, which, you know, I, 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 it wasn't my ambition necessarily to do that so quickly, but it just sort of happened. You
0: know? It's odd, because it's, you know, the end of the 70s, London, St. Martin's, how... Does millinery work into that? How did mil- I'm surprised it was registering on your radar at that point? Well,
1: it didn't work in at all. And and that well, that's what was so attractive. I mean, you know, hats and punk didn't really go together. You know, punk was gelled hairdos and you know, Johnny Rotten wore a beret occasionally, but that was it really. Um, and it was the fact that it was this sort of weird anachronistic thing that I chanced upon. Um, and at that time, there were not so many milliners around. I mean, there was a milliner called David Schilling, but he was making very sort of ascot big things. And this was also before Vivian was doing anything in the hat department. I mean, later on, yeah, absolutely, she did like the mud hat and, you know, the big top hat that this photograph of Philip Salmon wearing. But nobody was doing it. And the only designer in Paris who was really using hats uh, was Karl Lagerfeld who was at Chloe then and he was the one person who saw how um, a hat on a runway could make sort of a, a very special notational focus or whatever uh, but nobody was doing it and so in a way it was a, an open market but you know, it wasn't a, a, as um, sort of thought about as that, I didn't really consider it that much, I mean I d- it was just doing what I enjoyed
0: um, And then you <laughs> went to um, La Chasse an old school couture house I I read I mean they're still going today Mm -hmm. they only started producing ready-to-wear in 1981 and they stopped a couple of years after that Mm -hmm. but again that seems like such a an odd route for sort of this punk to take
1: it was very weird because at that time absolutely there were the punks but you know punk for me was 1976 by the time it got to 1977 1978 it was sort of old-fashioned in a way and and I certainly I was looking for something else and you know we would like the the next generation of designers coming along after people like PX or Vivian Westwood or or something like that and we needed to find you know our own way you know the one thing that turned me on was going into the library and there was one box in the corner and that was full of old vogues Um, British vogues primarily from the 40s and 50s and nobody looked at them I mean, they were, you know, they, they were throwing them away, and I mean, now of course they'd be w- worth a fortune. But people weren't referencing past styles. I mean, it was just, you know, not part of the language of fashion. But to me, what was so extraordinary was all those pen and avedon poses of women in extraordinary graphic shapes with crazy things on their heads, and that seemed to be the most revolutionary thing, so the fact that I could actually make hats and make strange silhouettes and transform people into these sort of creatures, people like Kimbo and Princess Julia, etc, etc, um, was completely exciting.
0: Is it true that you were spotted by Gaultier in a Culture Club video, and that was how you first came to create Hats for him in the early 80s?
1: Yeah, um, what happened, um, George asked me to be in the Do You Really Want to Hurt Me video, and um, I was paid the princely sum of £25, which was a fortune in those days, it was quite a few months round, and I was in the video literally for a microsecond, if you blink you miss me, but uh, Jean-Paul saw me in the video, and asked if I could model in his first men's show um, because he was sort of inspired by what I was wearing, which was a pale blue zoot suit from a shop in Longacre and Covent Garden called Flip and some correspondent shoes in black and pale blue and I was wearing a red fez. So it looked very sort of Tangier in Paul Bell's 1950s or something. And I I actually couldn't model in the show. fallen off a motorbike and uh, really badly hurt my ankle. But a few months later, um, I was going to Paris with my assistant, Sibylle de Saint-Fal, who subsequently became Johnny Galliano's first assistant, and um, went to see Gautier. And we actually saw the film of the show. This is the most bizarre thing, because this was pre-video. It was so long ago. And uh, after the him showing me the, the film, he said, well, would you be interested in, he said, you're a milliner, would you be interested in doing Hats for My Moons collection? And that was my first season in Paris. And so, thank you, George.
0: <laughs> and was that sort of the first time that a British milliner had worked with a French house? I think it's, it's, it's quite a major thing.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, at that time, um, Britain was very insular, you know, we hadn't been part of the EU, EEC as it was there for that long, and we saw, British people saw themselves as something very, very separate. And, you know, me working in Paris was slightly akin to sleeping with the enemy, and actually I got Jip from the British Fashion Council, who sort of didn't approve of it, but you know, I just told them to bugger off. Um,
0: well, I think it's also really important for me to state that the landscape of millinery has really changed since you began working and totally, I think it's largely due to your influence. I happens. think it's
1: my influence and also Vivian's influence because mm. she was, I mean I made Hats for People but she also was doing runway shows which I was not, I mean I do occasionally but not really um, you know, I do those with other people, I don't do my own, but you know, Vivian was actually the first person really to make hats for young people, with the mud hat and you know, the hobo hat and all those different things, but yeah, I mean, I, I sort of appear to have reinvented the world of millinery, but I didn't have a grand purpose like that <laughs> at the beginning, I have to tell you. I just wanted to go to a great party. <laughs>
0: I think it was Susan Menkez who said that kind of you reinvented the idea of the cocktail hat.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It, it's really interesting that your work at the start of the 80s, like you said, making hats for your friends, making hats just something that you would desire to wear and not wear out of a, a sense of duty almost.
1: Yeah, I mean hats, I mean, when I was growing up and in the 80s, that was everything that people would say to me. Oh, well, you know, hats are about etiquette and whatever. In a way, yes, they are. And especially in Britain. They, they are about etiquette, and we cannot escape the influence that the royal family and the British class system and blah blah blah, you know, that's our history and we can act or react against, against it. But I actually think that, you know, hats in the evening, which is, I think, probably the aspect of hats that I, I really work, because, I, you know, I love cocktail hats, I mean, yes sure I was a fashion student, but I would think I was a club kid. Primarily, and that was when people wanted to dress up and, and and put something wonderful on their heads. So that's often why. Also, as well, if you we say, "What does a Stephen Jones hat look like?" It tends to be smaller, because you can't dance in a big hat.
0: <laughs> I'm interested also in the way that you work with people like Ray Caracubo and John Galliano. And I'm interested in, I mean, how you work with different designers. Are there any uh,
1: special I, I, highlights or? <laughs> yes, I mean. Ray will work in a very abstract way. John will work in a very sort of character-driven way. Um, Mark will work in a very character-driven way, but in the point of view, he has a huge vocabulary of fashion. He's really knowledgeable. But for myself, it's about creating a character, always with a hat, was always a character. You know, hats are just about association the, 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 they always tell a story, um, but working with Ray or with Mark or with John, I mean, for example, with Mark, when I'm working with him, he, we we will have a conversation and he'll say, "Oh, there's." I remember it's like the third season I worked with him. And we were and he said, "The two ladies and the um, going shopping in Italy." And I said, "What, Florence or Rome?" And he said, "Rome." And I said, "Have they had lunch?" And I. Said, said, yes. And I said, so they're going shopping. And are they going to, like Ferragamo or Gucci to go shopping? He said, no, 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 no. They're probably going to you know, just buy some very fine leather gloves. And that's, and then I said, okay, our designer had to go with that. So that was a conversation. John will sort of create this extraordinary story of somebody, and it will be a person, a muse, a single muse in his head, and will, like, create this. Um, sort of storyline around her um, and the hats will fit into parts of the storyline there'll be almost the punctuation within the storyline of the clothes ray will work in a completely different way I mean she with John I mean I I I speak to him I, I see him you know almost every day with Ray she's on the far side of the world and when I get a brief from her it will normally be by fax which I also love as well I love faxes um, and it'll be a few words written down maybe she'll do a little sketch maybe she'll just say I don't know I get saying, I don't know and that will be the brief uh, maybe sometimes she will send something in Japan write something out to, in Japanese to Adrian Joffe her husband and he will translate and whatever but it comes in a in a very varied way. is sort of different every season and it's quite abstract. But what she doesn't want is something, she doesn't want me to understand what she wants. She wants the abstract. She wants the spice in the collection. She wants sort of the crazy thing that might not go. And what Adrian always says to me, you know very well, the hats might not work and uh, we won't use them because maybe it's the wrong spice in the collection. And you know, quite often I've taken the hats out of the box and she says, well no, I don't like any of them. And you think, and I have to say, I have been doing it for 30 years, and that part of it doesn't get any easier. But if you trust that person as a designer, you will let them sort of artistically take you by the hand and lead you to a place that maybe you don't know where you're going and I will just sort of do as she says because I don't know where her head is going. But you know what's so fascinating? When you see it coming down the runway, you see, oh my god, she's pushed fashion forward. She's made an understanding that I didn't know about, um, a creation that I didn't know about and that's because she's sort of a genius.
0: Does it give you a different type of thrill to working for your own label? Um, I'm just thinking of the way that... um, I think it's Galliano who said that he liked working for Dior because there were rules that he could choose to work with or work against, Mm and I imagine it's kind of the same working with different designers and the different way that they work and they force you to work Mm -hmm. in those different ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a way it is much easier to work within a brief than not within a brief. But the hats for my own collection provide have a very different brief to, you know, working with John and I mean it's much looser um, and in a way more difficult, it's more challenging. Um, But the hats are about something very, very different. If you're making hats for a runway show, that is a hat to be seen um, from 20 meters away. If you're making making a hat for my own collection, it's normally made to be seen, you know, over a lunch table, one metre away, you know, it's ha- if, with one of my hats in my own collection, I often think, if it's an evening hat, what's it like to kiss him? But, you know, pe- most people don't think like that, but that's sort of one of the things that I think is important. Do you sort of bemoan
0: the fact that women don't wear hats every day? Is that something you'd like to see?
1: Um, yeah, I mean it always improves the quality of my life when I see a woman walking down the hat in the street and it would improve the quality of theirs too, but you know, I have to admit that I'm, I'm biased, um, not everybody thinks like that, but no, it's great to see people wearing hats. It shows that they have a real interest in their fashion as personal, personal expression. I remember once asking John, I said to him, John, why are you so interested in hats? Why do you like hats so much? And he looked at me and he said, that's a funny question coming from you. And he said, well, why wouldn't I be? It's above the neckline that design becomes really interesting.